0: He is worthy of the name Savior. He is worthy of the name Redeemer. He is our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Well, I'm going to invite you at this moment to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Luke 15 here at the beginning and and then walk through a couple of scenes in Luke 15 and a few other chapters in the Gospel of Luke to see pictures of repentance. One of the most important things that we can understand in our lives is what it means to really repent and live a life of ongoing repentance. And Luke 15 is one of the pictures that we'll look at together. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, Jesus said, teaching this parable, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Father, I praise you that you are a God of great mercy. I praise you that you are a God of amazing grace. I praise you that you are a God who, when we are headed in the wrong direction, extend kindness and compassion to us. Your word says it's your kindness that brings us to repentance. And so I pray in Jesus' name that the kindness of God as revealed in the person and work of Jesus would be very evident among us this morning that we would live lives of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you may be seated, and if I were to tell you that in the scripture, when Jesus begins to teach, and then if you read through the Bible, the last thing he says in the scripture is about repentance. That's true, by the way. And then if you were to summarize the preaching ministry of John the Baptist, as the scripture says that he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then you study the word and when Jesus sends out his 12 apostles to preach, the Bible summarizes says they went out teaching that people should repent. We're tracking together first and last word of Jesus. The preaching ministry of John the Baptist, the preaching of the apostles, when the Holy Spirit is at work on the day of Pentecost, and the people say, what should we do to Peter as he's preaching? And Peter's response is that you should repent, and the last letter that Peter writes, uh, towards the end he says that God is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to Repentance. And then if you read the Scripture, and for example, when the Apostle Paul is ministering in Ephesus, he's been there three years, and his words are, in summarizing my three years of ministry in Ephesus, I did not shrink back to declaring what was profitable to you, that you should repent. And then you read his letters, and he says, for example, in Romans, what we already quoted, that the kindness of God is meant to bring you to repentance. Repentance. So just so we're all on the same page, when Jesus starts preaching and has his final word in the scripture, it's about repentance. When John the Baptist is preaching, his emphasis is repentance. When the apostles are sent out, they proclaim repentance. When Peter preaches and he writes, he talks about repentance. And when the apostle Paul preaches and he writes, and this is just a a brief summary, we could go on and on through the scripture. If you were to summarize this Word, what it says to human beings is that you should repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we all agree, at at least this much from the Scripture's perspective, repentance is critically significant. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at three pictures of repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a visual learner. It helps to see something in action. And so this morning we're going to look at three pictures of repentance. We're going to start right here in Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the prodigal sons. This young man here is like a lot of young people. He's got a notion in his mind that life would be better off far away from where he is. Oftentimes we think about life in terms of geography. If we could just get up out of here, right? Some of you maybe said that. If I just get away from Nash County, if I could live somewhere other than Rocky Mountain, or maybe you're even a young person and you're already thinking to yourself, man, when I get a little bit older and I move away from here, life's really going to begin. But here's the issue when it comes to that line of thinking. Wherever you go, you go. Do you know that? You take you with you wherever you go. And life and joy and peace and happiness actually aren't to be found in a place. Do you know why? Because life and joy and peace and happiness are about what's going on in here. But this young man has this notion. man. If I just get away from my father, by the way, the father who has blessed him, a father who has loved him, a father who has bestowed upon him everything that he has, right? Every parent can relate to this. The most taken-for-granted people on the planet are parents, right, who really try to do well for their children. Where this guy, he up and says, what I really want is to live far away from here. And he gets what he wants. How about that? He goes far away, and he goes packs up his stuff, goes to the far country, It says, not many days later, the son, verse 13, gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Now, what I love about this parable is um, it's timeless and everybody in the whole planet Earth can understand it. I was in uh, Mumbai, India with uh, some missionaries there. Uh, and and we traveled out of the city and went, uh, man, we were just in the slam middle of nowhere. I was a little bit nervous, because if anything happened to my translator, I don't know what would have gone on, you know, and we're just out there, and there's two men from India. We don't speak the same language. We don't have the same background, and I know my responsibility is to share the gospel with them, and as I begin to pray, it's this story that comes to my mind, right? A story about a father with two sons, and I begin to share this story, and you know what? They understood it. Just this past summer in Belgium, Ghent, Belgium, in a totally different place, totally different situation, totally different culture. And I'm going to tell these people about Jesus and the gospel. You know what comes to my mind? Let's talk about the prodigal son. And you can see in their eyes, everybody understands this and everybody understands this because everybody knows what goes on here. We've all had this notion that real freedom would be to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. But you know what? That's actually not true. It's actually not true because you were made to know and love God above all things, and that's what real freedom is. Well, this guy, he goes in the Bible, says he squanders his property in reckless living. So this will be important, uh, every picture that we went uh, to just remind you of what we've been talking about, and that's the, this fact that every one of us has a heart that's ruled by something. We've been calling this a series, Rulers of the Heart, right? And Jesus identifies the most common rulers of of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So here they are just by reminder. One is anger. There are some people, the absolute ruler in their heart is anger. It's just right there beneath the surface, kind of grinding the teeth even talking about it, right? Because oftentimes we don't really like the false rulers exposed. You know what an angry person does when they realize and are uh, uh, told that anger rules the heart? You know what they get? Guess what they get? We get kind of angry is it there friends this morning i mean honestly remember man looks on the outward appearance the lord looks at the heart art inside your words your actions your life has anger as the ruler anger is not the only false ruler there's another really powerful one in fact i think in our culture in 2019 united states of america we're actually drowning in this it's lust Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent in the heart, right? This is where these rulers are, has committed adultery with her already. And in your life, and friends, the truth of the matter is, maybe nobody else actually knows this. But lust rules your life. Another one is pride. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, uh, "Do, do not live... Do not practice righteousness in order to be seen by others. For then you have no reward. You don't really have life. If, if your whole life is about what other people say about you, what other people think about you, and your whole life is caught up in putting the best foot forward or putting an outward appearance that, that doesn't actually match what's going on in the heart, you're given over to pride, and it's a, it's a false ruler, but it can be a powerful ruler. And then there's the love of stuff. Another thing we're kind of drowning in our culture, could we agree? Just that we always want more and more stuff. Nobody can serve two masters. You'll either serve the one and hate the other, or hate the one and serve the other. No one can serve both God and money. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe money's your ruler, just getting more stuff. And really, your sense of safety and security is if I've just got enough stuff. And then in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus exposes another false rule of the heart. Do not be anxious about your life. Anxiety can rule the heart, can't it? Your whole life is caught up in, in anxiety, and what you say and what you do is trying to fight the anxiety. So anger, lust, pride, the love of stuff, and anxiety are the five most common false rulers. And for some of us, there, there's some co-regents going on, you know what I mean? It's anger and lust, or it's pride and anger, and so on and, and so forth. But life's to be found. Who, who well, You use this pop quiz question, who is ruling the heart of the prodigal here in Luke chapter 15? And King Lust is on the throne. A little bit later on, the older brother, who's, we'll talk about him more in a moment, he criticizes his brother, man, you squandered everything and reckless living with prostitutes, right? That's what his life had been about. Some people think that's what life's about, some physical, momentary pleasure. Well, the problem with that is... Well, this is what happens. He spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, here's a deeply theological question. You ready for it? Here's the deeply theological question. The famine that arises, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Famine arises, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, when the famine arises, he began to be in need. This is really hard in life. And I say this to every parent. Your your primary goal is not famine insurance. This father is a representative of the Lord. And when his son in the far, you know what the the young son needs to have happen in his life? What happens? He finally comes to himself. That's what it says. When he came to himself. In other words, he says he's been thinking foolishly. And when he's finally in his right mind, guess where his thoughts immediately go? when he finally is thinking correctly, does it say? How many of my fathers? Oh, that father I couldn't get away from. That father I viewed as so restrictive. Uh, that father that I didn't want to tell me what to do anymore. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? This young man thought that life was to be found far away from the father. And now he's longing to go home. Well, uh, I have to tell you, Luke 15 is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And I could uh, talk a lot about this because about every phrase and word in here is so helpful. But I do want you to see his first impulse when the money ran out, when uh, the thrill was gone, right? When he realizes he's been looking for love in all the wrong place. Okay, we'll stop quoting the songs. We'll move on. His first instinct was not to go home. His first instinct was he'd made a mess and what's his first instinct? I won't fix this. It says, so he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who went, sent him into the fields to feed the pig. So repentance was not his natural instinct. Well, reckless living ends in a wreck, doesn't it? Adrian Rogers says, you can eat the devil's corn if you want to, but he will choke you on the cob. And that's happening in his life. Now, you need to understand, as Jesus is teaching here in that time and place, he's in the most miserable condition, the prodigal is, imaginable, that he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And when you're hungry, you'll eat just about anything, amen? And I mean that in a spiritual sense. When you're hungry spiritually, you will eat just about anything. So he ends up friendless, penniless, unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and at a dead end. He had taken all the money his father had given him, and he had squandered it. Friends, the pleasures of sin last for a little while, but they do not last. And you know what? There's a whole sequence of dangerous lies that this young man believed. It started out believing the lie that life will be better off away from my father. A second lie he believed is, I can fix this. And then there's a third lie. And I I think it's the most dangerous lie that there is. You know the devil's a liar, by the way, right? You know what the most dangerous lie is of all? You can see it going on in his mind. The most dangerous lie is, my father won't want me back. He's believing that lie. And his his whole plan here is, I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He doesn't plan to go home as a son. He plans to go home and ask for a job. And here's where the real danger is. There are plenty of religions that will tell you that's what you should do. That's That's the best case scenario. But it says here, he arose and came to his father. A word for that, by the way, friends, would be he's repenting. He's not blaming somebody else. He's not saying it's my brother's fault. It's this famine's fault. It's these friends who didn't stick with me's fault. He says, I have sinned. He arose. He comes to his father. Now, can we say, here's a picture of repentance. You cannot repent and stay in the far country. Amen? Is this a lie of our generation? A lie of our generation is God's going to forgive me and give me permission to stay in the far country. Well, here's the deal with repentance. You know what repentance is? It's returning to God. It's returning to him because you love him, and it is a forsaking of sin. So some of us have this notion. I know it's been a lie in my heart. I will get forgiveness to stay in the far country, but that's not true salvation. Salvation is to be with him, be with the Lord. So he says he arose and came to his father, and you want to know what the Lord is like? Well, let, let this put to death the lie that your father doesn't want you back while well, he was still a long way off. I know so many of us know this scripture, and we love it but I want you to see it fresh. His father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. It's no exaggeration to say In that time and place, what the younger son had done was the most insulting thing a person could do to his father. And now this is how his father's responding. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. He's not giving him a job, is he? Listen to me. He's not giving him a job. He's restoring his home. Do you see it? Repentance is not coming to God so you'll work for him repentance is coming back to God who is your father who says you get to sit at my table I'm not saying what you did was right in fact it was sinful it was wrong but you're going to come from the far country and and you're going to have a place at the table now you should know that not everybody's happy about this right they're going to celebrate verse 23 bring the fattened calf and kill it I mean this this celebration is going to put to shame your thanksgiving I'll tell you Let us eat and celebrate. This son was dead. He's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Remember what we said? Same Luke uh, chapter 15. Heaven rejoices when one sinner, help me out church, does what? Repents. Repents. He goes to his father in humility. Can I give you an application for your life? You want to be a peacemaker? You have to be devoted to humility, not humiliation. You want to be a peacemaker. It's not about humiliating somebody it's about having humility and even the one who did no wrong the father he's the one that covers he's the one that restores he's the one that forgives you want to be like Jesus don't try to get even extend grace we need that in our generation he says I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and the father's every effort and word is to say no you are my son now by the way we'll look at three pictures In all three pictures, something like this is going to go down. You'll see it. Now, his older brother was in the field. Where's his older brother? Out working. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father. Just pay attention to what word he uses again and again. Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I, me, my. But when this son of yours came who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? He said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Well, if the younger brother had King Lust on the throne, who's on the throne of the older brother? And it's King Pride and King Anger, isn't it? This is how the world works, friends. Everybody's got a false ruler. And your false ruler might not look like, on the outside, some of these other false rulers, but it's still a false ruler None the less we'll turn a page with me to Luke chapter 18 first picture was the prodigal son the second picture is going to be this tax collector Uh, Luke chapter 18 verse 9 so Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt so what king are we talking about we're back to king pride aren't we Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Richard Owen Roberts says repentance is never possible when there's no room for it. He also says as long as we can live without revival, we will. See a clear distinction here in this picture of repentance. On the one hand, it's Pharisee, full of pride, full of all his religious works. He fasts and he gives, but you look at his heart. He's not humble. He's not contrite, he's not self-aware, and he most certainly was not like Jesus. So let's get a scriptural warning, friends. You can go to the temple, you can pray, you can give, and you can do all those things and never do so with a heart of repentance. And that's what Jesus reveals in this parable. And yet here another man is broken, even the tax collector. He stands far off. You get a little hint, don't you, that perhaps there's some anxiety looking to rule in his life. He's standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The the tax collector is certain of one thing that he is a sinner. The Pharisee is certain of one thing that he's not. And only one of them is actually right. See, this is what pride does in our hearts. We're so quick to point out the shortcomings of others. Both the older brother in Luke 15, and now this is well versed about the shortcomings of others. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You know what the whole point of the Scripture is? You and I are exactly like everyone else. You know, if you understand the grace of God and what the Gospel teaches, the furthest thing from your heart ought to be judgmental, critical, look at everybody else's faults kind of condition, right? And this this man... This could contrast it again with, God, have mercy. Let me ask you this just real quick. When is the last time in your life, in all sincerity, you were on your knees before the Lord in a way that this man is? Can't even look up to heaven. God, be merciful. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, something that we've talked about is we, we really need, you know, as Americans, I think we're, we're infatuated with hype like a lot of hype and a lot of excitement. Friends, I believe if a revival is going to come to us, it's not going to be hyped up. And it wouldn't be termed, I mean, it is exciting, but not in the way that it's just hype. We don't need more hype. You know what we need? We need more sober holiness. And what's so missing often in my heart, and I believe in our generation, is this kind of brokenness over sin. We just got to to the point where we're okay with it. We're we're, we're in the far country. (laughs) And, oh, how we need repentance. I believe a person under Holy Spirit conviction is always quick to see their own shortcomings first. Well, let's flip the page one more picture together. Luke chapter 19 now. The third picture of repentance is Zacchaeus. All right, so... uh, Younger brother, ruler of his heart was lust. Older brother and the Pharisee, both ruler of the heart was pride. Zacchaeus is a man, well you'll see, you probably already know. Luke 19 verse 1, he entered Jesus Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking To see who Jesus was. Can we get some help right here? Riches and money don't actually satisfy the soul, do they? here's, Here's what's true of King money and King lust, by the way, and King anger and King pride and King anxiety. When they're on the throne, you know what they never say? You've done enough. You've given enough. You have enough. You've lusted enough. You got angry enough. You've got enough pride. You've got enough money. You've got enough anxiety. You know what they want? They want more and more and more and more. And do you see the contrast with Jesus? Jesus isn't a taker. He's a giver. So here's a man. He's got, you know, he's rich. And yet he's still seeking something. Well, that's what all the false rulers have in common. They'll never bring contentment. So he's seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because of his he was a small of stature. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Okay, just wondering. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Friends, I'll tell you this, when you want to pursue Jesus, nothing will truly hold you back. if That's what you really want. No more excuses, crowds too big, I'm not a good tree climber, when God's doing a work in your life, nobody can hold you back because it's God who's doing the work. So he ran on and climbed up into the sycamore tree. He was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Oh, here we go again. Grumblers on every page. He's gone on. And the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, praise God Almighty; He's willing to be a guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold." And Jesus said, "Today salvation has come to his house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." And they saw it; they all grumbled. Of all the people, he's going to go to his house. Well, you draw near to the Lord, and the Lord will draw near to you. The only people who repent are sinners. <laughs> the only people who really repent are sinners, who know they're sinners, and don't want to go on sinning. Have you noticed in all these accounts there's someone who repents, and there's someone who grumbles? Have you noticed that, right? The younger son repents. The older son grumbles. Uh, the tax collector repents. The Pharisee grumbles. Zacchaeus repents and the people in the town grumble. Now I want you to consider these people who have repented. I want you also to see how those who repent serve the Lord who has freed them and forgiven them. Do you think think the older brother ever outworked the younger brother a day in his life from that point forward? I don't. I don't. I believe the hardest working people on planet earth should be those who've been rescued by the grace of God and are not trying to earn salvation. They are working and zealous, as the scripture says, for good works because they have salvation in the grace of God. Zacchaeus here, he repents and one of the fruits of his repentance is willing generosity. You, you get the sense here in, in this city, he'd been like, uh, what's the old guy in its wonderful life? What's his name? Potter, right? Been Mr. Potter his whole life. And he's been as unhappy as Mr. Potter, and now God has rescued him. I want to give us a couple of applications for our lives and close with an illustration here in just a moment. First of all, I want you to see that nothing distances us from God more than a stubborn, self-righteous heart. And it is especially tragic when those who have the stubborn, self-righteous heart claim to be representing God. Pharisees, right? They're the teachers. They're the ones who teach people the scripture in Jesus's day. And I'll just ask you again, have you come to a place in your life where you've gotten too cynical, too hard-hearted, too complaining, and too grumbly? Is grumbly an adjective? Can we use it? Have you just gotten too grumbly? And you just look around and you say, man, and, and you begin to point and highlight the sins of other people. So, so, so nothing distances us more. And by and large, people who grumble have pride on the throne. Second, this is glorious to see of the Lord. God never, ever, ever turns away those who humbly repent. He welcomes them home. He runs to them. He covers them. He justifies them. He goes to their house. He is with them, right? Right? again and again. The younger son doesn't come home and say, okay, well, I'll hire you, and you're going to make minimum wage. That's, what you're, that's, that's your punishment. Friends, the reason the Father doesn't punish those who repent is because the Father has already punished our sins in Jesus. So it's not left over, right? It's not like an 80-20 deal. Well, Jesus will pay for 80% of our sins on the cross, and we'll still account for 20. You know how much you, finish, you, you, you account for? Zero. When you repent. That's why Jesus said when he's hanging on the cross, one of his clear statements it's just three words but hear it it is finished you're not sentenced to keep working among the pigs for the next 20 years and I know there's a way in our hearts that that would make sense wouldn't it but do you see can you see it for a moment all that would be for the younger son would be trading king lust and replacing it with king pride you know when King Pride is crucified, when you really see that your salvation is a gift of complete grace, complete mercy, complete compassion. Does that younger son deserve the robe, the ring, the sandals, the feast? He doesn't deserve any of it. And you know the devil is such a liar, he'll, he'll mix up his lies. He lied to you about the far country, and then he'll lie to you about what it means to go back to the Father. And he's like a little pig who wee, wee, weed all the way home. He'll lie, lie, lie all the way home. Your father doesn't want you back. Oh, but if you believe maybe my father will receive you back, okay, let's switch up the lie. You can go back, but you have to work for him now. And man, your life is liberated when you realize the amazing grace that God has extended to you in Christ Jesus. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, God have mercy on me an unsatisfied tax. God, have mercy on me. I have been ruled and reigned over by lust. God, have mercy on me. Anger has ruled in my life. God, have mercy on me. I'm so proud. God, have mercy on me. I've loved stuff more than I've loved Jesus. God, have mercy on me. I've allowed anxiety to rule in my heart. Now, closing illustration I want to use is this application. Repentance is spiritual warfare. Repentance is spiritual warfare. What happens so often in our lives is we're in a spiritual fight, but we're not fighting it right. Uh, and I'm gonna use this illustration. One of my favorite movies of all time is Rocky. Anybody with me? How many of you have seen the original Rocky? All the way back in 1976. You've seen it? Alright, well, I love Rocky. I grew up with two older brothers and we were all about we're all about Rocky. And my favorite scene in the original Rocky takes place towards the end of the movie. When Rocky is fighting Apollo Creed, now Apollo Creed is the man, right? He is the boxing heavyweight champion of the world, and you've had 40-some-odd years to see Rocky, so I'm just going to go on and spoil it for you, right, what the movie's about. So, so he's the heavyweight champion of the world, and he wants to put on uh, Apollo Creed, an exhibition, and he's going to just choose an opponent at random, and he chooses Rocky, who's from Philadelphia, and that's where the fight's going to take place. So just some local guy that he's going to get in the ring for a couple of rounds and just kind of spar and in the end, knock him out, be done with it. And, and that's just his plan. But it's just a movie, y'all. So, but but, it, but it's, I find it kind of inspirational in my own my own little life. But, but what happens is Apollo Creed doesn't realize that Rocky won't quit. He will not quit. And there's this part of the movie where Apollo Creed's just wailing on Rocky. And, and you can see in his mind, he's thinking, I love Carl Weathers, he's one of my favorites, he's playing Apollo Creed, he's just, and and he he would have thought by now Rocky would have been knocked out and done. Everybody else he's ever fought, we never got to the third round, never got to the fourth round, never got to the fifth round, now it's a 15 round fight, and they're about in round 16, and this moment comes, and the round's about to be over, and Apollo just keeps going and going, and Rocky won't go down, and then they start to play this song. Now I'm just going to tell you, when I hear this song, I get fired up. When I'm at the YMCA, really outward appearance, barely surviving, and I'm on the treadmill, and I've decided I'm going to go so many miles, and I'm not there yet, and I'm ready to quit. I, I get my phone out, y'all, and I queue up this song. In fact, so, so, we're going to play it in just a moment, and, and, and Apollo is going, 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 but Rocky's not going down, and, and then you see his face change, and they play this song. Let's go and play it. this way open in six rounds younger son came to his father and said father you give me the property you give me the stuff that's coming to me essentially saying I don't want to wait around here until you die that's what the younger son's saying in Luke 15 just give it to me now and he goes into that far country and he squanders it all and the world the flesh and the devil think that's how it goes we lied they believed it squandered, reckless. He thought the far country was going to be satisfying. It's not been satisfying. And, and then, got it queued up? When I point at you, I want you to play. Just not quite as loud as that first time. Y'all brace yourself. Who knows? He was longing to be fed with the pods, the pig ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... <laughs> more than enough bread, but I will perish here with hunger. I not Alright, let's do it one more time. Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, but I give tithes of all I get. Let's let's go. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to house justified. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to, be, to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Let's go. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry, came down, and see to Jesus. and you know what I think happens most of the time too often in my life absolute pushover don't make it through the first round now you think about your apollo creed is it anger just holds the day holds the ring dominant the champion or is it lust and you've gone round after round with lust and it you don't want to look at the scorecard this morning because lust has won again and again. And lust is the champion. Or is it pride? And pride is the champion in your life. Or is it the love of stuff? Or is it anxiety? Friends, here's, here's what's true. Anger, lust, pride, <clears throat> anxiety, and the love of money will keep right on winning. Again and again and again. Until... Until the Holy Spirit has brought a work in your life and such that says, I can't keep going the way I've been going. I'd rather be with the Lord. And let's borrow some phrases from the younger son here. I'm going to rise and I'm going to go back to my father. Because here's the deal, friends. Your flesh doesn't beat the flesh. only thing that can beat the flesh, which is anger, lust, pride, love of stuff, anxiety. The only thing that beats that is the Spirit. Spirit. This is liberating if you'll, listen, the gospel doesn't free you from the fight. The gospel frees you to fight. And our hope isn't that anger and lust and pride are going to stop punching. Do you know what? They're going to punch the rest of your life on earth. The question is, are you going to turn to Jesus and repent and say in such a way, since crouching at the door? I've heard what you said to Cain. And its desire is to rule over me. And here's where repentance begins. I can't defeat it. I've tried every way I know how to try. And actually what repentance is, is you kind of stepping back. And here comes King Jesus. Full of grace and truth and compassion and power. Now we're going to fight by the Spirit. The Bible says, put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We're going to talk more next Sunday about what that actually looks like and what that actually means. But here's how you know if you're on the right track when it comes to repentance. He said, the far country doesn't hold the appeal to me that it used to. Anybody there this morning? Man, I thought the far country was going to be exciting. It's not been exciting. It's been devastating. Or when you enter the worship, your heart is not, oh, look at these people around here, man. They get their act together. Your heart is, God, would you have mercy? Would you have mercy on me? I am a sinner. When the people gather to worship, or you say, man, I don't care about anybody. My, my desire, I'll climb to the roof if I've got to. I just see Jesus. Repentance is returning to the Lord, forsaking sin, and obeying him. Would you stand with me, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to enter a time of invitation. We are not going to use the Rocky soundtrack for our invitation The invitation simply is this. We're going to seek the Lord together. By all means, you can stay right where you are. Man looks on the outward appearance. God's looking at your heart. So you can stay right where you are. But I know there's been times in my life, it's just helpful to put feet to face, so to speak. You're welcome to come here to the front. And it might be as simple as this. God, I long for anger to no longer rule my heart. God, I desire that lust is no longer king in my life. God, I desire pride's not on the throne. I desire the love of stuff's not on the throne. I desire that anxiety's not on the throne. I desire Jesus is on the throne. That's our invitation. Got a particular uh, burden you want to pray for? I'm going to stand right here. It'd be my joy to pray with you, to listen to you, to talk with you. If not to hear the invitation, I'm not going to rush off after the service. It'd be my joy and privilege to speak. We've talked about some significant things from the scripture. I I can't think of anything more. Significant from the Bible's perspective than repentance. And right before I pray, I I just want to remind again what we've seen of the Lord. He does not, He does not turn away those who humbly repent. He welcomes them, He restores them, He covers them. He has a seat at the table for you. He's not going to get permission to stay in the far country. You're all going to have to leave some things behind. But can you see it? Can you see that when you forsake sin to return to the Lord, oh, you gain so much more than you ever leave behind. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to lead our prayer time, our invitation time. Help us to be bold. And uh, Lord, I pray for a season at Calvary where you're at work at the root, and deep levels of our hearts. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you'd use your word to knock off anger from the primary spot in some hearts this morning. I pray that lust is removed from the throne. Pride or anxiety, the love of stuff. God, the fight is ongoing. There's going to be some rounds to come, but I'm asking in Jesus' name for some Holy Spirit-given confidence that I've not been liberated From the fight, I've been liberated to fight, to fight anger with the peace of God, to fight lust with a desire for holiness, to fight pride with a servant heart, to fight the love of stuff with what could I get stuff-wise that I don't have so much more riches in Jesus, that I can be content in Christ, and to fight anxiety. The promises of God. Lord, lead our time. May they be an invitation that is led by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.